Mac Power Users, Episode 15, Information Managers. So welcome back to another episode of the Mac Power Users Podcast. I think this will be our last episode of 2009. I'm Katie Floyd, and alongside with me, as always, is David Sparks. How are you doing, David? Great, Katie. Merry Christmas and Happy New Year and all that. And all of that. Yeah, same to you. And, um, you know, I looked back, and we've been doing the show now for more than six months and um, kind of gone back and collecting through a number of things. We've topped over 100 comments on iTunes. We're at the end of the year, and... I, I just got to say, I've been really pleased with the way this has all worked out. Yeah, it is. I, I'm really glad to be podcasting again with the holidays and everything. We weren't able to record uh, our usual time would have been last week, and I missed it. So I'm glad to be back here and talking about Mac stuff. Sounds good. So this is a show that we have known ever since we've been podcasting that we were going to do. Um, but I think we were both a little nervous, and maybe as it got closer, got a little more nervous about exactly how to do it. Because we could podcast for days about this topic and not brush the surface or hit every particular item that everyone out there would like us to talk about. Yeah, so we're talking about information managers. And something notable about this recording is we always tell um, the listeners what the next show will be on. I think this show, more than any other show we've ever broadcast or, or foretold, is people writing saying, this is my favorite tool, make sure to cover this. How many emails have we got? Maybe 20 uh, different emails with people saying different specific applications that they want. And the thing is, they all have different applications. And I kept a list, and I kept writing them down, and then it was like at some point, okay, we got to stop because we can't cover anything else. Yeah, I think really what it comes down to, it hit me when I was driving home today uh, on the way of doing this recording, uh, Mac Information Manager's are like PC games. You know, that's what Mac <laughs> people do. We don't get games. We get apps to manage our files. And we are just, very serious people. Yeah, but there's just so many of them. And the, there's so many that are really good. I think the common theme through this, this show is going to be that there isn't really one single answer. There are a lot of really good answers. So uh, that's kind of what we're up against in this show. And we're not going to have a you know twelve hour marathon session of going through each one, but we are going to try and cover some of the big ones and what our personal likes and dislikes are. But that doesn't mean that you can't be very excited about something that I'm not excited about. I'm sure that whatever works for the person, the individual using that Mac, is the one they should stick with. Right. So we're going to kind of start off with a, a general overview of some of the applications that are available to manage all of this information. And then I think we're going to wrap it up with maybe a more in-depth discussion of the application that we each have chosen, which changes day by day sometimes, um, and how we use it, and, and we'll go from there. All so right. I think the first thing we should talk about is what do we mean by the term information manager? Because I think that could encompass a lot of things. You know, my email client's an information manager, my RSS client's an information manager, um, so I think it should be noted that for purposes of this show, we're using information manager more as a generic term as kind of the box that holds everything else on your Mac that doesn't have a specific place where it lives. Is that fair? Yeah, I think so. I mean, they, we all we already talked about email, and we've got some future shows that are going to deal with some other types of information. But I think, was it, um, was it Yojimbo that came out with the term an everything box? I don't know if it was Yojimbo, but that seems appropriate. Yeah, one of the developers came out and called their software the everything else box or something to that regard. And I thought that was a good term because you're collecting little text snippets and uh, maybe some PDFs and different types of files. And you don't really know where to put them. And that's where these applications really start to show their strengths. Right. Um, so I guess let's start with an overview, not an in-depth discussion, of some of the options that are out there, and we'll we'll kind of alternate this a little bit. Uh, but one of the first ones out there is DevonThink, and I could probably spend hours and hours digging into DevonThink and still not scratch the surface of what it's all about. So let me first encourage everyone with all of these products, if it sounds like something that might interest you, most of these products have demos available. So 
Um, go to the developers' websites. We'll try to put some link in the show notes and and do some research on your own. But one of the things that intrigues me about DevonThink is the fact that it uses an interface that is very similar to the Finder. So it's very familiar. You can organize your data. It's got smart folders. Um, it, it the top of it almost looks like a Finder window, where the side of it almost looks like. A mail pane, if that makes sense. But I guess the finder is looking more like that, where you've got hierarchical folders and search terms and, and and ways to drill down into information. You've got column views. You've got um, more like an icon view. So you have all the standard you know views that you're used to looking at in a finder. Um, and it allows you to drop information in there fairly quickly. Um, literally, you can drag and drop information into a project. You can highlight text and clip it into a project. Um, they have services, they have workflows, they have widgets, they have automator actions that you can all do to get pretty much any type of information in the project. And what's unique about this is if it's not a file format that DevonThink will natively handle, text, PDF, image, whatever, um, it will index that item, which is basically make a link to that item. So your items can be either stored in DevonThink if it's one of these file formats that it recognizes, or it can be linked to an external document so that you can have um, everything for a project collected together. And you can have multiple databases, or you can have a database with multiple projects, and it just kind of depends on how your organization style works. Um, and of course, you've got, you know, tagging and so you can create symbolic links between the context to link everything together. And it will do this conversion depending on which version you have. It may or may not do a different jobs of it, but will convert images and PDFs into um, uh, files that you can search. And what's really unique about DevonThink is this artificial intelligence agent that it has working behind it, or at least that's what they call it, um, that allows Devon to go through and create some of these links for you. So if you throw a bunch of documents in there, it will notice what words are coming up more frequently, what words tend to be keys in the documents, um, and kind of create some of these links for you, uh, which I have not seen uh, any other of these document management software do. The um, Pro version has a couple of additional features, including email and archiving support and RSS feed support. So you can actually not only use this to manage information for projects or random bits of information, but you can also use it to manage and archive email and RSS feed. So Devon is, is probably an application for more of the Pro user I think a professional or even a small office setting because there's some sharing features in there would find it extremely beneficial. I, I could see you almost running a small office um, out of DevonThink depending on how you had your databases set up. So, Yeah, I've always heard that one of the real strong points of DevOn is its search technology and um, it's supposed to have, I guess, artificial intelligence about knowing what you want. And uh, I have to admit I haven't spent much time with it. Uh, yeah, it's it's smarter than than most people are, I think. <laughs> idea. Um, version 2.0 is out, but it is still in a beta, and it's been in beta for a while. So it, it's a fairly stable beta. It's a fairly complete beta. Um, but at least as of the time that we're recording this, a lot of their resources, they have an, a whole Devon Academy is what they call it, which is a whole resource link on their website with some really great tutorials and videos and things like that. And a lot of those are still devoted to the 1.0 version. Um, but the 2.0 version is still what you get when you download it. So it's it's pretty stable, but not quite complete. And uh, DevonThink Professional Office is $150. Okay, well, I'm going to talk about one as well. Uh, it's Circus Pony's Notebook, which is a great little app for the Mac. Uh, you know, I think it's really good for students, but it creates a virtual notebook on your Mac. It's got the spiral around binder if you like or not. Uh, you can choose the types of paper and you can create notebooks for each of your projects or classes or clients or whatever. And uh, it's a great app because it allows you to easily import data. Uh, the most recent upgrade actually allows you to bring in a PDF uh, file and annotate it right there, which is kind of like 
the uh, the note application that Microsoft has out for Office, where you can annotate a PDF, but not quite there if you have an external pen. And one of the nice features of Circus Ponies is it has a really good search tool. So just about anything you type in or or clip into your notebook on any particular project, it actively creates an index on the back page. So if you can visualize this on your screen, you're going to have a note, a physical, a, a, I'm sorry, a digital representation of a notebook with the little tabs down the side, just like you had when you were in school. And you can name each tab and create new ones, and you can flip through the notebook to whichever section you want. A few years ago when I was planning a vacation, I, I used a Circus Pony's notebook for just that, and I had pages with activities and pages with restaurants. And anything I'd find as I was going through the web, I'd just clip it into the notebook, and I had a really nice notebook when I was done. And at the end, I could just go to the index and type in the name of a restaurant, and it would go find wherever I had linked that on a page. It also has the ability to publish to the web and do some other ways to export the notebook. And uh, it's just a great app. It costs $50. You can get an academic license for 30 It does not really give you the ability to organize information for all of your projects in one place, or you'd have a really large notebook. I guess on second thought, you could do that, but I've always looked at it as an app where you would have a separate notebook for each particular project. Well, kind of like in real life. Yeah, exactly. And uh, it's I think it's a great app. And another one where you get a free trial, um, it allows you to take notes. It allows you to draw with a pen. It allows you to create tasks, although I don't use it for that. Um, we've talked about tasks probably enough on this show. Uh, it does clippings, and uh, it, it's very well supported. There's an active community around it. They've got video tours on the website. And... It's a great app. I mean, I, I think in particular for a student, this would be useful. But I could also, I've used it in the past for my practice. Indeed, when you first open Notebook, they have a legal-based template for a trial. And I know that my friend Ben Stevens over at the MacLawyer.com, uh, at least the last time I spoke with him, uses Notebook uh, for his trial prep. And he outlines uh, witness examinations and other things in it as well. So... Uh, it's just a great little app, and it's not very expensive, but very useful, very clean. It's always run really stable. I've reviewed it over at Max Barkey, and maybe I'll put that in the show notes. And I really like it. And uh, the the most recent version, I think, is about a year old now, but it really they made a lot of steps with the most recent version, in, in particular bringing in those PDFs and allowing you to annotate on the side of them, I thought was a, a great extra feature. Yeah, I saw this demoed at... Um I think Macworld last year and they had quite a crowd and quite a buzz. I think they were just getting ready to release their new version. Yeah, they also allow you to create little graphic assets and it, it's not to the level of OmniGraphal, but it's good enough to make quick little flow charts or diagrams and probably mind maps as well. So, uh, you know, they've covered all the bases and if those, if that coverage is adequate for you, uh, this is an excellent solution. Very cool. So keeping kind of on the same theme, but a different application is Mac Journal. And it's now made and distributed and updated by Mariner Software, which is the same company that makes a lot of great software, including Paperless, which we talked about in our going Paperless show. Um, and Mac Journal has a lot of the same features as Circus Pony's Notebook, but it, it had a it had a different beginning of such, and you can kind of see how it's taken a little different path down down this road as well. So Mac Journal was originally intended for journal writing. So it initially started as this place where you could write your journals, and it's got some excellent uh, word processing like features, not you know necessarily like Microsoft Word type features. Um, but maybe features that are more similar to Scrivener where you can, um, you know, change the uh, the display and change the feel of it so that it, it matches your writing style and and you can um, kind of go in the flow. You know, if you like green text on a black background, you can you can do that. Uh, but in the newer versions, it's also added in some more advanced features so that it will also accept any kind of almost any kind of document, text, PDF, movies, images, audio, um, that you can drag and drop into this notebook. And it allows you to organize and um, search and and save all of this information, fairly similar 
to like you would if you were in a real notebook. But it also does some different things in that it will also allow you to publish your content to a blog or a podcast. And it's got some pretty easy publishing tools if you're using MobileMe, if you're using Blogger, um, Blogspot, or some of the other more standard blogging tools. You can export entries in your journal or you can have a journal that's devoted to a blog or even a podcast or throw something else in an RS feed, RSS feed. Um, and it will export that for you. So some people are using this as, as kind of a basic blog and a podcast creation tool, which I thought was an interesting concept because if, if you think about it before blogs were popular, you know, a lot of us who like to kind of pontificate and, and talk randomly about things that are interest of us before we would publish that on the internet, you know, some of us would publish that in a journal too. It's just now become a very public journal. So it also will support uh, mobile me sync. So if you have multiple computers that you want to keep in sync and multiple documents that you want to keep synced across, it does that as well. So it is thirty four ninety five, um, but they do run specials from time to time. In fact, right now they're running a special through the end of the year. I don't know if this podcast will get published in time, uh, where it's currently forty percent off, and yeah, of course free demo. There's a lot of. Uh uh, lawyer Mac nerds that like Mac journal. I've talked to several attorneys that use that again as a case management tool. So, uh, once again, it's another great little app that it's not too expensive and, and it'll do the job. Uh, another project management type tool is Curio. And, uh, I also reviewed that one on Mac Sparky. I kind of look at it as notebook, uh, probably raised up a couple levels, not quite as easy to use as a simple to use, but it's got, more tools. Um, Curio gives you these canvases that are can be really as large as you want them, and it makes it really easy to create diagrams or input clips from web pages. Uh, it has excellent Evernote integration, so if you've clipped a bunch of stuff into Evernote, you can actually access it from inside Curio and drag those assets right into your canvases in Curio. Uh, Curio also allows you to create tables and it has a stencil system for diagram creation that allows you to make lists. Um, it's, it's really, you just almost have to see it. And, um, uh, so you, so if you'll picture, you've got these large canvases where you put various types of data on and then in the left column, it gives you sort of a list of, it's, it's called the organizer and you can have lists of these canvases and you can have them, uh, color coded or you can have them. Uh, uh, arranged in rankings. Uh, it's just a really nice app for uh, project management, in my opinion. I use that one probably more than Notebook these days, and I use that uh, in some of my work situations and some of my Mac Sparky things. Uh, I'm working on my presentation right now for Macworld, and I'm using a Curio set of screens to kind of put together my thoughts and just kind of use it as a big whiteboard. So it's kind of, is it like an OmniGraffle? Some? No, not no. really. Okay. OmniGraffle is a really great diagramming tool. And frankly, none of the tools we're going to talk about today can hold a candle to OmniGraffle for creating diagrams. And that may be one of the issues that I have with this whole subject is that uh, for each one of these tools, uh, if you take the individual components, uh, you can find a better component than that. But if you want to have everything in one place, that's what these specialize. In fact, uh, another aspect of Curio that I didn't mention is it's really good at mind mapping. It has some nice mind mapping stencils and tools where it keeps the bubbles connected and allows you to make parent and children really easily. Um, uh, Curio costs $150 for the pro version, which includes um, encryption and this thing called the idea shelf, which is really helpful and some nice templates. You can actually create templates for projects or clients or whatever you're working on where you can have a repeatable form. So it's almost like a PDF form, but a little better. And you can put links in. I'm really pretty excited about Curio. Of, of the three, you know, kind of project-type applications we've talked about, I probably use Curio the most. The next one I want to talk about is a program called Papers. And you got to love how Mac developers name their software, right? You got paper, notebook, journal, kind of variations on a theme here. Um, and what I think was interesting about this is to see how some of these projects were born. You know, journal was more of a journaling application and turned into more of an information manager. Papers was designed by scientists. 
with an original emphasis was on organizing research. And it also has the unique ability to work as a front end for PubMed, which is the National Information of Health's online literature search. So this is really, I think, a researcher's dream if you're in any kind of scientific or medical-related field or any field that really just requires you to do um, and keep up on top of a lot of research. Uh, Papers is going to be what they call it on their website is a repository of knowledge. So once information is plugged into papers and you can either plug it in yourself through all of the methods that we've talked about, um, you know, drag and drop, cut and paste, you know, type information directly in there. Um, it will then collect metadata on that and it will make it organizable and searchable. But what's really powerful for it is it also works as an aggregator uh, for various journals and publications that can be downloaded directly into the application and indexed, particularly if you're doing research on a topic and you're going through various medical journals or various scientific journals, um, or heck, maybe even various law journals, uh, you can plug into those journals using papers and download bits or segments of that information that will already be keyworded, that will already be indexed. Um, you can keep your end notes and bibliographies and all of that information organized in papers. And then, you know, some support for actually starting to write your own paper if you're working on a thesis or something like that. Um, it has support for EndNote, the popular EndNoting software. I think support is also built in for pages now with EndNote, isn't it? Uh, I think it is. Yeah. Yes. Um, and they also have an iPhone version, so you can organize your information on the iPhone. Um, there is a free 30-day trial. It has won an Apple Design Award, so it's a very pretty-looking product. And it is $42 with a uh, student and group discounts available. You know, this is one of those apps I didn't really know about. I'd heard about it, and then I started looking into it with the uh, the emails we were getting. And uh, it looks really intriguing. I'll take a look at that. I I think it's an app that is not going to be a general information management software for anybody. But I think if you're the type of person who is doing this type of research or who wants to keep tabs on this type of research, um, it's probably going to be a huge help. And their student discount's pretty generous. It's actually 40%. And all you have to do is send them some kind of proof of, they call it your studentship. So scan of your student ID card or, or whatever it is. And um, they'll email you a coupon code for 40% off. Yes. Another information manager is one owned by one of Apple's subsidiaries, the uh, the folks at Bento. Well, actually, it's FileMaker, which is owned by Apple. And they've released this consumer uh, database product called Bento. They're now at Bento 3, and I've been using it since version 1. And I grow more and more to like this app. Have you worked with it much? I've done some basic FileMaker stuff in a previous life. I haven't really had a need to do any FileMaker or database management type stuff personally, but I have looked at it. I've seen it demoed at Macworld several times. Well, this is another one where they've got free trial, and they just continue to make it better and better. And you've got some really nice templates built into it, and this year they just opened up the Bento Template Exchange where people can share their templates. And uh, this is a really great information manager. I mean, you've got the built-in templates. I use the one to track my auto service on my vehicles. And I've created some to track my um, uh, my continuing education time and categories. And I track expenses for work. And I, I have some of my home databases. I put my whole Christmas list in it this year because that's the kind of geek I am. And have a big family kind of helped. And uh, they have a great iPhone app that syncs all the data right down. And I am growing to use this more and more. I'm starting to develop a specific uh, Bento templates for some of my cases at work and for some of my projects and the things I do around the house. And it really is turning into something that's, that's very useful to me. Uh, so Bento will cost you... Uh, I believe seventy nine dollars, but I'm not certain. So I will I'll get that into the show notes. And they do have a free trial, and it's it's your traditional database app, but it's very easy to customize it. So uh, you can go in and create your own sheets uh, as easily as you want. You open one file, and it's got all the various different 
databases in it so you don't have to cycle through opening different files. And uh, they've recently put, so you can import uh, pictures from iPhoto. It talks to iPhoto now. And it works really well with the address book. So, for instance, you know, the age-old problem on the Mac is how do I make my Christmas card list? And uh, you can do that here easily. I actually have, because it imports the data from the uh, address book, I've created templates in Bento that have a lot more data than is in the address book. So I can categorize, for instance, all the people I know as a result of Mac Sparky, whether they're uh, related to software developer or they're, uh, you know, in advertising or they're a podcaster or whatever. So I can click buttons and get those lists narrowed down really quickly if I'm looking for someone. And I would recommend giving this one a spin if you haven't yet. Yeah, I've I've been very curious about Bento. I think um, one of the most interesting things is all the templates that are available. And I think you're starting to see communities pop up around building well, templates. Well, yeah, it's not even really the communities. It's it's uh, FileMaker has a website, and they everybody uploads them. And, you know, one of the things I've been doing lately that's totally unrelated to the Mac is I've gotten to this geocaching. And when I can get my kids to go with me, or or not even, I go do hikes around the the area here in Southern California, and I like to geocache out on the trail and take a few pictures. And I found a great bento template to track all of my hikes. So now it's, you know, it's kind of geeky, but I think it's kind of neat. Such to, a dork. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> I mean that in the best possible well, way. Thank you for that moment of true honesty. But, uh, (laughs) you know, it's really, I think it's kind of fun to go back and then I can look back at the different hikes. You want to know how far this goes is I have one of those uh, geo trackers, uh, the the loggers that logs my my geo trip. You know, it talks to the satellite. So when I get back, I plug it in and it goes to uh, Google Earth and creates a file that shows the exact trip I took. And now I'm saving those files, too. I'm not sure why, but it's there. Well, cool. If you're ever lost, we'll be able to find you. <laughs> or if you want to know, you know, where did I hike and how far did I go on that day? There you go. I guess if I ever disappear, you know, the mountain lion got me, they'll know approximately exactly where, where. I, where I could have been. Within three feet of where the mountain lion, well, we'll be able to find where the mountain lion is now. Yeah, it depends how much he eats, I guess. There you go. <laughs> Uh, kind of the last application in our general overview section is an application called Shovebox. And it's kind of what it sounds. It's a box that you shove a bunch of stuff in. And again, the, the original idea behind Shovebox is it would be a place to store kind of information that you need temporarily, but more long-term than you know the next day or two. So you don't want it sitting in your email or you don't want it sitting on your desktop because you know we Mac users are not like PC users and we don't have 40 icons on our desktop, right? Amen, sister. Okay, good. Just checking. I was afraid, you know, there might be awkward silence there. <laughs> uh, if you have 40 icons sitting on your desktop, pause the podcast now and find out one of these information managers that you can use to take care of that problem. Um, but Sh- Shumbox doesn't necessarily have to be used as a place to store temporary information because there's no requirement that it be there only temporarily. So uh, it gives you an inbox with the ability to support rules. So if you have different types of documents or documents with certain titles or keywords, you can automatically filter them to, to go into particular places. But it will allow you to create notes, throw in images, PDF, text, Word documents, the contents of your clipboard, and um, organize them in a you know, pretty Mac-friendly method. You've got a sidebar that has an inbox, and then um, think of it kind of like email for these random bits of information. Then you have folders and smart folders that you can create to organize uh, and put little bits of information in those folders. And again, I think the initial design was... Um, stuff you keep temporarily. So they do have a menu bar icon and a real easy way to get stuff into shove boxes to literally shove it up in the menu bar and it will, will drop into shove box and you can keep it there and forget about it. Um, but again, no reason that you can't use it as more of a long-term document management solution. And they also have an iPhone application that shove box will sync with, uh, over the Wi-Fi network. So you can have access to all of that, information or little bits of information with you on the road. So uh, the iPhone app is $3.99 and Shovebox for Mac is $24.95. You know, kind of a related uh, recent iPhone app. Have you seen this uh, 
what is it called? Pastebot. Have you heard of this? Someone was telling me about that, where you could get information back and forth between the iPhone and the Mac. Yeah, it's it's fantastic. What I'm does it to, do exactly? Well, when you open the application and you clip something on your Mac, it automatically shows up on your phone. Like as a text note or whatever it is. Phone? If it's a picture, it goes in as a picture. If it's text, it goes in as text. And how so many you, bits of information can it hold? A lot. Oh. I mean, you can set. I think there's a limit on the the generic clipboard, but then you can create specific uh, extra clipboards. And uh, it's not. Yeah, I don't want to steal thunder from Shovebox, but that that is an app that you want to check out. If you're if you're listening to this show and you're into information management, go check out Pastebot. Okay, so we've done kind of our general overview of some of the programs that are out there for the Mac, and now we get to the difficult part of the show, and that's talking about which information management application we use, how we use it, and why. And I say this is the difficult part of the show because I think both of us had little revelations while we were doing research for this show that may ultimately influence how we do things from here and beyond. Yeah, and before we get into this, I just want to apologize to everyone whose uh, specific information app we have not covered because I know there's a lot of you out there that have found something better. Go in the comments and tell us how dumb we are, and uh, I'm sure there's good ones. And Well, they don't have to tell us how dumb we are. They could just advocate for their app. The slings and arrows will fly because Mac users are passionate. There we go. But uh, I, I am looking forward to seeing other uh, apps people have. In fact, we just got an email recently from someone uh, talking about this app called Notational Velocity, which I've heard nice things about and not had the chance to check out. But I think that's a type of information manager, but it's also a text editor. So anyway, yeah, let us know. So now that being said and waivers being made, let's get into it. All right. Um the information app that I obviously have not mentioned because I was saving it for this section is Evernote. I have been using Evernote since it was relatively new on the Mac. So I want to say maybe a year, year and a half. And I don't know that I've been using it all of that well. So that's kind of what I hope to change as a result of this episode because I really didn't know how Evernote worked and I was nervous about putting things in there. So I had just kind of this random bit of information thrown into Evernote. But I think the more that I've been using it, I, I kind of now have a sense of, of what I want to do for it. So this is information that I occasionally need but doesn't have a special place. So I thought I would give you a couple examples of the types of things that are in my Evernote. And you will see that these are totally random things that don't necessarily have anything to do with each other. Um, I don't cook. And, but I do have a couple of things that I can make. So I have about a half dozen recipes in Evernote. Those are the only things that I know how to cook. So I eat a lot of the same stuff, you know. Um, I also have instructions. Like if there's a particular, there's a, a website that I have to log into frequently or infrequently rather um, to e-file documents. And I never know how to do that. So I actually told my secretary, I said, could you just... I may have to do this one day by myself. Could you just write out step by step by step how I do this and email it to me? Um, and she did, and I immediately forwarded that into Evernote and have used it on more than one occasion to figure out how to do this thing that I was supposed to do. Um, I have a list of all of my TiVo season passes in Evernote. I have a list of the names and numbers for the various paint colors that I have on my wall in Evernote. Um, I have taken photos of things when I've been out shopping with family members that they've commented that they like uh, in Evernote so that I can later go back to the store and tell the clerk, this is the vase that my mom saw. I need to buy this vase right here and show them a picture on my iPhone. Um, I have minutes for a, a meeting or an agenda for a meeting that's coming up next month uh, that I've been working on in Evernote. Um, and just really random bits of information that don't fit anywhere else, but that I might possibly need to reference in the future. Okay. So how do you use Evernote? Physically, I mean, do you do it on the iPhone? Do you do it on the Mac? Yeah. Okay. So I guess let's talk about um, how information gets into Evernote. So the reason that I chose Evernote 
is because it was very easy to get content into there. So you can either create a new note into Evernote, which is like a text note with some basic formatting. You can do bullets and numbers and bold and things like that. Um, or from the print dialog box in that little PDF menu, you can drag down and say save to Evernote. Or Evernote has a clipper and you can clip screen images or things out of Safari web browser. Or you can forward emails to a special email address that you've set up with Evernote and they'll show up. Or you can drag and drop documents into Evernote. Or you can take a picture of something with your phone or your eyesight camera and get it into Evernote. So ease of getting content into it was a big plus for me. And you can access that information just about anywhere. There's a client for the Mac, there's a client for the PC, there's a client for the iPhone, and there's a web interface. Interface. So uh, pretty much anywhere you have internet access, you're going to be able to get your documents either into or out of Evernote. I've been on the Evernote roller coaster ever since it, it found its way to the Mac. I When it first came out, I was a big user of Yojimbo and got on the bandwagon for Evernote. In fact, I got an account for it uh, probably before I needed it and moved my data into it and used it for, I don't know, six or seven months and found that I wasn't really happy with it. Um, I like the Yojimbo interface better. And I'm going to talk about Yojimbo in a minute, so I won't spend the time talking about that. But you had made the comment earlier that Evernote is really easy to get information into. I think it is not so easy to get information out of it. And that always kind of bothers me. Uh, just last week, you know, we're getting ready for the show, and there's all this press about the new Evernote iPhone client and how great it is. So I thought, well, you know, maybe I need to give it another try. So I fired up Evernote, put some data into it. I copied some cases in it, some other PDF files that I wanted to read, and got home, you know, about an hour before the show and tried to pull one out of it, and I couldn't. And you can't just drag a file out of Evernote. You've got to right-click on it and then export it, and it won't export as a PDF. It'll export as an HTML, but I didn't want HTML. And it just kind of reminded me of why I loved Yojimbo to begin with, and, and I'm in the process of getting rid of Evernote for the second time. Oh, my goodness. You can check out the time you like. You just can never leave. Yeah, well, that's the problem. You know, I, there, there's all these great apps, and I'm sure Evernote is good. At, and, you know, one of the things Evernote has that Yojimbo doesn't, it's got a, an excellent iPhone app where you can access this data on the go. Although, in the six months that I was using Evernote, I think I might have done that once or twice. And it's got, you know, interoperability with other operating systems, but I don't, frankly, want my Evernote data accessed on my, the only PC in my life is at work, and I really don't want my Evernote data there anyway. So I'm just not sold. Well, I, I agree with you that getting data out of Evernote is a problem. I, I think that's something that they'll change. And I think the idea, though, is you should never have to get your data out of Evernote. It's going to live there. But I definitely see that as an issue. And there are ways to work around that. You know, you can email directly out of Evernote and things come out as PDF or text or pretty much however you put it in. So there are ways to get things out of Evernote. Um, one of the, the other main reasons that I used Evernote is because I just thought it had a lot of great built-in organizational tools. Um, you put things into Evernote and they are processed and indexed by the supercomputer at the end of the Evernote cloud and then made searchable. Um, the big caveat to that is in order to search a PDF, you are required to buy the premium version, which full disclosure, I did recently um, while researching this podcast, but it, it will also process images. So if you take a picture of a document and the picture is relatively clear and that document has text into it, you know, if you take a picture of a street sign, for example, Evernote is going to be able to pick out words out of that street sign um, or a label. It should be able to pick out words out of the label, again, depending on the quality of your text. Um, and same with, you know, any kind of text notes that you've written into Evernote. Um, and then it also has great support for tagging, which, again, is about as useful as you make it, depending on your organization method. If you choose not to tag anything, then it's not really going to help you. Or if you have a bunch of different tags that you use and tag everything, it you know it may help you or it may be too overwhelming. 
And you can also set up what's called different notebooks within Evernote. So you can organize, you know, a personal notebook, a work notebook, or a notebook for a particular project. Um, and then again, because it has this really good tagging and this really good uh, indexing, it also has, you know, really good search that usually, even if you've got a notebook full of 40 or 50 documents, typing in a few keywords into the search box can usually pull up exactly what you're looking for. Yeah, you know, there's just no question that Evernote's a very powerful tool. And when we recorded our episode on Paperless, one of the things we were bemoaning is how you could not uh, do PDFs and Evernote not get them to do the text search for you. But now the OCR is is in there if you pay for the account, which is great. Uh, I'm just still, I'm just not drinking the Kool-Aid. I remember when it first came out, I saw the, uh, I think it was the CEO of Evernote did this great um, little screencast where he showed how he was um, indexing Saki bottles, yeah. you know. yeah. And I was like, that was great because I'm a, I'm a big tea nerd and I have lots of tea. And I'm always, I thought, so I'll take pictures of all the labels of all the teas I own. But I never reference them. I, I just don't need them. I don't have that much tea. And I know, you know, how long I'm going to brew different types of green tea because that's really the only kind I drink. So I just never found myself using it. I, I guess that's really what the problem I found was that it didn't, while well, I was impressed with the technology when it came out, uh, I never incorporated it into my day-to-day life. And that just may be me. But well, I, never I think did. with a lot of these solutions that we talk about, you have to incorporate it into your day-to-day life or you'll never get the most made out of it. You know, if you didn't put stuff into Yojimbo, Yojimbo wouldn't work for you. Yeah, and I'll talk about Yojimbo in a minute, right. but I don't really use that very much either, to be honest. Uh, well, so- let me – can I give you a real-world example of what sold me on Evernote? Yeah. And and maybe this will help. And I'm I'm going to use kind of a, a personal example, but I'm I'm not going to get into any personal details. Uh, we had a scare about six months ago, and we found out very quickly within kind of a days of a few weeks that my grandfather had a major health condition and had to be rushed out of state to have uh, major heart surgery. And because of where I was living at the time, um, I was involved of it just just because you know, my city was kind of the central hub of what was going on. And I had a lot of the information and I was ending up coordinating a lot of things with a lot of different family members in state, out of state, um, as well as this hospital out of state that we were going to um, for his health condition. And this all happened very quickly. Um, Almost none of the time did I have a computer with me because I was in a hospital waiting room or I was talking to a doctor or I was on the side of the road trying to figure things out. Um, and Evernote really helped me organize and orchestrate this whole kind of, um, you know, massive event in my family's lives where everything had to be coordinated and everything had to work and to fall into place for this all to work. So, um, I was able to take notes and get pertinent information that I had been given into Evernote and tag that and have it, um, certain records that had to be taken from one place to another or transferred from one doctor to another. Not that I'm necessarily advocating Evernote for the use of medical records, but um, in this, in fact, I would not. But in this particular situation, it was my fail safe because if we didn't get these records from point A to point B, you know, this, the surgery wasn't happening. Um, I used it to share information with family members on what was going on. I used it to uh, all of the information regarding flight schedules, hotel reservations that I was getting from all kinds of different people went into Evernote and got tagged. Our itinerary got in there and literally all of these random bits of information that I had thrown at me went into Evernote and I had them at my fingertips for the trip. And thankfully everything went off without the hitch. You know, there were no problems. Um, I ended up not needing a lot of the stuff that I put into Evernote because there weren't any issues, but, um, having it all at my fingertips, being able to access it and say, okay, well, my aunt is on this flight that lands at this time that gets in here and this is the address and this is the hotel room was was really having all that information at my fingertips was really helpful. So was it a series of text files or PDFs or what was it that you had? What was the data form that you had? Um, both. Okay. Everything. Um, yeah. I had a, you know, a snapshot of a, a EKG machine that was taken with the um, 
you know, the camera that I was saying, okay, this is what it says. I was, I was sending it to my, my aunt who was a nurse who, you know, wanted the information that I couldn't interpret. I had a lot of PDF documents in there from, um, you know, web page captures or documents that people had emailed me that I then forwarded into Evernote. Um, that email forward is a really great way to get stuff into Evernote. Um, with travel itineraries and hotel information, um, some random medical records were scanned and, you know, were put into Evernote so that I could, you know, forward them to the doctors if I needed to or if the hard copies didn't make it. So really everything. And then just some general, you know, text notes that I had made along the way. Yeah, see, I like, I've got two or three different apps I use for that. So on the iPhone, for instance, for PDFs, I use FileShoot. I don't know if that's the best PDF app, but it works, and it's easy to drag and drop files between the phone. And, you know, I've got different apps I use for text files, so I don't have it all in one place. So Evernote's probably better in that regard. But I think it really, for me, comes down to, you know, being overwhelmed by too many of these information managers. I think one of the, the themes out of this is you've got to pick something and just stick with it because well, you, you can't use them all. And, sure. And but so one of using, the, go go ahead. ahead. I was just going to say, one of the things that was particularly helpful about Evernote in this particular situation is that a lot of the time I was not around the computer. But I had my iPhone, which is this mini computer. So if someone emailed me a PDF... I forwarded that PDF to my Evernote address, and boom, it was an Evernote. Yeah, that makes you know, sense. If someone emailed me their itinerary, I forwarded that into Evernote. You know, if I needed to jot a quick note or take a photo of something, I did that with an Evernote. Yeah, I don't know why I can't seem to get excited about that app. Maybe one of these days I will. I don't know. So I use Yojimbo. Um, I, I think I started with Yojimbo, so I'm very comfortable with the interface. I like the way it looks better than the way that um that Evernote looks. And it's just a purely subjective thing, but it just feels more like a Mac app to me. Uh, and I don't like the way you can't use hierarchical folders and in the indexing, but other than that, it, it's really easy to get stuff in and it's really easy to get stuff out. Uh, you can't share the data with your iPhone, but like I said, for instance, with PDF files, I, I put them in file sheet. Every time I go on a trip or something, I you, you essentially end up with, PDF copies of your hotel reservation, your conference res reservation, your airline, whatever. And I just copy all that into file shoot and it's usually not that many files. So I don't really need to be able to search it. I can flip through and find what I need. But you know, Jimbo works for me for a good way to capture snippets of information on the Mac. I don't use it to its full potential. For instance, it's got some really robust um, licensing stuff where you can save your software licenses but I do that in one password. So I've never really taken much advantage of that, but it is nice to bring in little text snippets and reference. For instance, the other day I found a, a really good reference because I use a uh, Google reader for my RSS feeds and I found a one page that summarized all the shortcuts. That for me is good fodder for, you know, Jimbo. I just dragged that in. So you've got it. You know that there's something out there, but you don't need yeah. to look at it every day. Yeah, and if I need to get access to that, it's easy enough to get to. I think one of the things for me is, and this kind of goes back to some of the things we talked about our paperless episode, is I really like the idea of data portability. And I'm not really excited about managing documents or even snippets of information in, in managed databases. And I know that sounds kind of silly because you know, Jimbo does create its own database, but it's also really easy to get stuff out of it. And it's easier than it is with Evernote, and I think that's one of my problems. When Evernote gets to the point where I can just drag something out of it and have a PDF on my desktop, it would be more palatable to me. But to be honest, I really don't even use Yojimbo that much. I don't, you know, I don't have an extraordinary amount of notes in it because I have different ways of dealing with the onslaught. I think we're going to have an episode on that one of these days. And but I do come across bits of data once in a while that I just want to have access to, and Yojimbo seems good enough for me. Uh, one point about Yojimbo, they've always had mobile me syncing, but uh, as, no as no fault of Yojimbo, I think when you put a decent amount of data into an, a Yojimbo database, the mobile me has trouble dealing with it. And uh, there is a workaround to sync Yojimbo through Dropbox, which I would highly recommend if you're a Yojimbo user. I think the common theme is that mobile me tends to have difficulty syncing anything of any size. Yeah. Uh, I would like to see you know, Jimbo come up with an iPhone app 
where you could choose different pieces to sync with it. Um, the guys at Barebones are really smart programmers, and I don't know why they haven't done it. Maybe just because of you know frustration with the App Store. I don't know, but uh, I think that would be a nice feature, and I, it definitely is a reason why I went and looked at Evernote again because the idea of having it on my phone is is really comforting. But to be completely honest, for me at least, I just didn't find that I ever really used it. And I'm trying to not have too many information managers. I mean, I, I use Bento for some specific databases, and I think it's very good for those. And I use Curio for some specific projects. I wouldn't even really call that information management. That's more project management. And I use Yojembo, and I'm trying to keep it to that. Um, uh, but I'm always interested in what else is out there. So it sounds like you tend to perhaps be more organized with individual pieces of information. So maybe you don't have this random bit of stuff floating around that the rest of us seem to have. Yeah, that's true. And and we're going to have this episode, uh, we were just talking about before we recorded, about managing the onslaught. You know, every day you have all this stuff coming in on your RSS feeds and, and all this stuff coming to you. And And I have some very specific ways of dealing with that. And as a result, I don't end up needing a lot of little snippets. Usually I deal with it and get it out of my life. I'm a minimalist. I don't want to have a bunch of little pieces of data unless I really need it. Well, I, I agree with that, but I tend to collect these little pieces of data anyway, so I want somewhere to shove them so they don't yeah. you know, randomly sit in places. Yeah. Uh, Yojimbo, the other nice thing about Yojimbo, it's not really cloud-based, so I feel a little more secure. Although, if you sync it, you're, you're putting it up there. And uh, it's... It's really easy to start using Yojimbo. I mean, it's almost, you don't need any instructions. I mean, it puts the little tab on your, your Mac. You can drag the files over. Tagging is really easy. Uh, the most recent upgrade that just came out has some interesting uh, tagging technologies that allows you to make tagging more useful and to you know sort your data down using the tags. And uh, I, I just think it's a good app. I, I, I know it's got some limitations in comparison to Evernote, but... I also think it's pretty and easy to use, and that's one of the reasons I use a Mac, you know? You um, you brought up a, an interesting point that I, I kind of wanted to touch on when I was talking about Evernote, but didn't really have a, a good good intro to, so thank you for that. And it's this whole cloud-based versus computer-based argument, and I think there are obviously pros and cons to both. Um, one of the ways that Evernote was so effective for me is because it was cloud-based and I had access to it everywhere and I didn't have to be tied to the computer. But that also creates some security concerns. Now, Evernote is supposedly encrypted, and especially if you pay for the premium accounts, you get even a higher level of encryption. But you still have your stuff that's out there on the cloud and on this computer that you have Evernote installed on and on that computer and on well, kind of on the iPhone to some degree, and we'll talk a little bit about that in a minute. Um, but it does make you think twice for something that's cloud-based of what you want to put up there. Yes. Um, you know, I I talked about one particular instance where I had some medical documents, but none of them contained any super secret information. And, you know, given what was going on at the time, that was a risk that I chose to take. Um, but, you know, I'm not going to be throwing my taxes up in Evernote and you know so I think twice about some of that stuff whereas you know assuming your computer is locked down well which I know it is you probably wouldn't think twice about throwing that some of that stuff into Yojembo with the exception of course of the syncing aspects yeah yeah I agree so uh, I think it's kind of exciting because there's so many different competitors in the marketplace for our, our dollars on the Mac and so many people interested in making these information managers, they just continue to innovate. And like even, you know, Shovebox is just, what, about a year old now? And that was just a whole new idea, you know, let's put it all in your menu bar. And, I, you know, I just think it's great that these guys are out coming up with new ideas. And it's, it's amazing to me that these Mac users can support so many software developers in this space. And I think it is because we all are really into taking care of our data and keeping our Macs clean and, and we all do like to keep these little bits of snippets, and we like to organize things. I mean, uh, I remember when I first started using a Mac, I was very excited about the database applications it had. And I even made my own databases in HyperCard and did some other neat things back in the day. And, you know, I still want, I'm still that geek, you know, deep down. So it's, it's fun seeing the different applications they have out there. Yeah, it is. 
Um, so let's talk a little bit about cost. Um, Evernote has two versions. It's got a free version that is more limited on features, or it's $5 a month or $45 if you prepay for a year. Um, in, in terms of premium features, you do get that PDF searching. You get up to 500 megabytes versus I think 50 is in the free version, although I've never run into even the smaller camp. Um, you get some collaboration tools and then you also are able to be more versatile in your file types. You know, like we said, PDFs, some office documents, some video that you couldn't normally do in the regular version. So, um, different options for Evernote. And then what about Yojimbo? Yojimbo is $39 for an individual license and you can get up to five on a family license for 69, which I think is a good deal. And they have an educational license for $30. So... If you're in the family license or if you have multiple licenses, can you choose to sync just specific pieces of information or share that amongst family members? Um, you know, I've never tried that. I, I sync the entire database over a Dropbox, and that's easy to find on the Internet. There's there's a couple pages that explain how to do it. And uh, uh, I've had no issues at all since doing that. I used to have issues with MobileMe, and as a result, I purposely kept my Yojimbo database particularly small because I didn't want to have problems syncing. And uh, now I don't have to do that with Dropbox. I just throw stuff in there and it, it works just fine. All right. Have we about covered our information managers? Yeah. And this is in this show in particular, I'd really like to hear uh, the listeners to weigh in on this one in the comments. And, and you know, instead of just writing us, and I, I do like hearing from you, but if you've got a particular information manager that we didn't treat properly or didn't even mention, make sure to step up and talk about it. We're going to sure have uh, additional comments on this in the next episode, but I like to hear from the users. Uh, for instance, with Devin Think, we probably didn't give it a, a share, a fair shake because neither one of us are particular users of it, but I know some people out there are big advocates of it. So I'd like to hear uh, from some of the users of these particular apps and, and what their pluses and minuses are. Yeah, and um, we probably got more feedback on this episode um, once we announced it and probably even before we announced it than we had on any other episode. But we did have a couple of listeners weigh in on some particular document. Did you want to mention those in the? Yeah, um, well, Graydon wrote in about using Curio and Together, which is uh, two different apps, and he has a nice workflow where he can keep keep his data together uh, using that uh Actually, he was actually trying to choose between the two of them now that I'm reading the email again. And he made the point that I did, that Curio really isn't an information manager. It's more of a project manager. And uh, But I thought it was worth putting in this show. Right. Yeah, I think a lot of these you find were designed for specific purposes and work really well if you use them for the purpose that they were designed for, but that they've perhaps have become more generic over time. Yeah. So. It, it'd be interesting to see... Um, when this started, because I'm not really sure. I think there's always been good information management and snippet management on the Mac. I mean, remember that app? It was, I think it was called Scrapbook. It was on the original. I think Mac uh, Apple developed it, and it was a great little app just to drop snippets of information in. It yeah. was on the old. It you know, was on the original Mac. Yeah, and so we've always had these apps, and there's no shortage of people trying to build a better mousetrap. So. It'll be interesting to see where it goes. I'm not particularly married to any one of these, but uh, for me, at least, Yojimbo has seemed to scratch the itch. Hey, maybe Scrapbook will come back in um, 10.7. Wouldn't that yeah. be hilarious if it was just in the Apple menu? Well, you know, that's kind of why I like that pastebot on the iPhone. It, it kind of reminds me of Scrapbook on my old Mac. You'll have to check that out. I'd like to hear what you think about yeah, that. Yeah, I definitely will. Very simple. So. Well, I think that brings us to the end of our episode on information managers. And th quite frankly, thanks for hanging in there with me because I'm coming off of a cold and cannot breathe out of my nose right now. So hopefully this doesn't sound too bad. Yeah. But, um, we've got um, specifically want to ask for your help with our next show. Well, actually, before that, and oh, uh, I didn't get this in the outline, but we had some nice feedback on Scrivener. And I was really pleased to hear from the people who – who wrote me and said, look, I didn't know about it, but now that you know you talked about it, I gave it a try, and I'm drinking the Kool-Aid. And I love to hear that people are writing better and using these tools. So uh, that made me feel really good, and thank you, everyone, who sent those emails in. Uh, I was a little confused and kerfluffled when you asked me about you know, what's in that file, and I was quickly, uh, quickly corrected by several people that it's a package file, and 
you can, yes, pull your little individual text files out of there for the various projects and research items that you have submitted in Scrivener. So that's good to know uh, if you need to you know, take that file apart and get the individual pieces out. That being said, I've been using Scrivener for, I don't know, three years now, four years, I don't know. And um, I've never had a file go corrupt except one time when I was syncing it over the SugarSync service, and I don't think that was uh, Scrivener's fault. Yeah, you never know sometimes. Yeah. And especially with package files. But yeah. yeah, that was good to see because, you know, I'm I'm really big on not throwing my information into a proprietary format where I can't get it out. Yeah. Okay, next show. Next show, we are going to talk about a subject that's still fairly new to me but is getting a lot of publicity recently because of Google, um, and that is using alternative DNS servers. Yeah, and in particular... We're going to be weighing OpenDNS, which is the uh, the guy that's been around forever, versus Google DNS, which is the new kid on the block. Yeah, when we put this in the outline initially, it was the OpenDNS show, but I guess we can't call it the OpenDNS show now that there's the Google DNS show. Yeah, and we're hoping, we haven't got the scheduling worked out just yet, but we're hoping to bring in possibly George Starcher, who contributes quite often on a typical Mac user, and George is a security guy, and he oh, really yeah, knows a lot a, about this. He is a geek. And George is the guy who put together the OpenDNS screencasts on um, the typical Mac user. I'd recommend going to watch those if you're interested in this stuff. And I know he has an opinion on the Google versus OpenDNS matter. And uh, I may or may not agree with him. I don't know. I'm going to look into it. I'm switching my home uh, service over to the Google DNS service, so I'll be able to report back when we record the show. Okay. We're also yeah, We're also in the next show going to have Paul Kent back, the president of Macworld Expo. And uh, this is the second show we're going to have with him in getting ready for Macworld. And I'm really looking forward to this one because the first recording we had with Paul was just kind of talking about Macworld in general. But there was a lot of stuff he couldn't share because everything was in the works. And now we're going to have the show to say, okay, you true believers, now that you're going, this is all the fun stuff that you can do. So specifically, we are asking for your help in um, whether you've been to Macworld 20 times or whether this is going to be your first Macworld or really if you've never been and you're just thinking about it, we've got the Macworld expert coming. So what do you want to know about Macworld and what questions do you have for Paul Kent? Uh, we're going to record this show the first week in January. I'm not sure when you're listening to this, but if you could get those questions into us uh, the first week in January or before the first week in January, uh, we'll try to get Paul to answer as many of them as we can. Yeah, and tell us what questions you have for Paul, and tell us what advice you would like, and also give us some advice. Tell us what your favorite parts of Macworld are, and particular events that you like, and if they, you know, tell us favorite parties or websites or whatever. Uh, I'd like to kind of make this a a celebration of what you can do and enjoy at Macworld. I know I've already started making my list of some of my favorite things to do, and hopefully I can turn a few of the listeners on to some of those fun activities. iTunes comments. Um, thank you very much for everyone who has submitted them. We've recently topped 100, um, which is just astonishing to us. And if you haven't, you know, maybe you can help us top 200. But um, just wanted to throw out a big thanks to everyone for the iTunes comments. And that was my Christmas present this year. We beat, it, uh, we got, a, we got 100 comments. It did happen right around. Um, last thing I do before we want to throw out some contact information is I want to float an idea by you guys, and I don't want you to freak out or anything. Um, but David and I have been doing this podcast for a while, and we've really enjoyed it. And we've got a lot of feedback from people saying, you know, we like the show. What can we do to support the show? So we have put a PayPal button on our website, completely voluntary. Nothing is going to change with the content. But if you choose, uh, you can make a one-time donation by the PayPal button or uh, something that's new is we've we've put an option up there for a subscription, and I don't really like that term, but that's the term that PayPal uses, which will be a recurring two dollar a month charge that you can start and stop whenever you like. Um, that will help go to the show and um, some of our uh, hosting costs, some of our production costs, and um, anything that comes in through that is going to go directly back to benefiting the show, whether it's. Uh, helping us to upgrade some of our equipment or to pay some of the hosting bills and f fees. Yeah, there's um, there's no limitation. We're not going to 
you know, give a special show out for people who pay and limit the show for people who don't. It's just voluntary, and it would help us out. Uh, and we are looking at some other options for the future as well. And uh, but I think this is a, a good step just to see where we stand. And uh, it, it'd be good to know that you know everybody can help us uh, with the cost of the show. We're not obviously doing this to get rich, but it would help. Yeah, it definitely would. And like David said, we we are considering um, expanding the show in the future. Everything that you're hearing now uh, will continue to remain free, and we intend to even add to the free content that's out there. Um, but we're contemplating kicking around the idea of perhaps doing something way down the line with some additional content and really just kind of wanted some feedback and general thoughts on um, where we should go from here. So if you have any any comments on that or, or any thoughts or if you just think it's a horrible idea, um, just shoot us an email and, and let us know. Everything's just kind of in the in the information gathering phase at this point. And one idea that we had was we've had a lot of listeners ask for an AAC feed. And, you know, frankly, we just don't have the time to do that. Um, an AAC feed would allow us to put chapter markers into the episodes, and that would be nice if you want to fast forward through my drivel and listen to, you know, Katie's brilliance. Uh, another idea that we've been kicking around is maybe putting out a screencast, uh, maybe even just like once a month, where we'll take some of the tips or some of the things we talked about in one of our episodes and screencast it so you can actually see how it's done. And possibly putting that on a separate feed. And is that something that people would be interested in? And if so, would that be something they'd be interested in subscribing to? So, so, so we're interested to hear the, the feedback from the listeners. This is really a, a process we're doing with our listeners. And, you know, we're curious. I guess the question is whether the listeners want it. And, you know, we don't want to spend the time and money and resources on it unless people are interested in it. And that's one thing we're looking to hear from the listeners. Yeah, an open dialogue. is I like that way of putting it. All right. And um, how can they get in touch with us, David? Well, the easiest way is to send an email to feedback at MacPowerUsers.com. Uh, you can also follow us on Twitter, twitter.com slash MacPowerUsers. And you can also find us on the website at MacPowerUsers.com. All right. Well, that will wrap up another episode, and we will talk to you guys soon about uh, open DNS services or alternative DNS services in Macworld. See you then. Bye.